Scanning an energy source on Reliant. Pattern I've never seen before. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. And trench stupidity, that's not half bad. Is that confined to small towns or do you find it in big cities too? Sure. But we have a better class of stupidity. Well, hello there, and welcome back to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are back uh, rather more quickly than we generally will be. We usually go about once a month, and we had an episode sort of planned out and ready to go for the end of this month, but we thought it was appropriate, given Leonard Nimoy recently passed away, that we should do an episode in some way dedicated to him. So... Colin did a little bit of digging and found us a very quality story that was adapted into a couple episodes of The Outer Limits, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But as Leonard Nimoy was kind of an influential figure in the science fiction slash geek culture, I thought we should start by uh, kind of paying tribute to him a little bit and just talk about him. So being older than you guys, I probably saw Leonard Nimoy first playing uh, Lieutenant Spock on, uh, on Star Trek. The science officer of the Enterprise. And, you know, as a kid, I remember sitting there, uh, you know, watching him, watching Kirk, uh, and trying to build uh, Lego versions of the space shuttle and, you know, wishing I had a tricorder so I could go sense things and just being amazed at, at this guy. He, he was almost, I don't know, uh, had, kind of had the best of all worlds. You know, from his Vulcan side, he had logic and self-control and strength. Uh, from his human side, he had compassion. Uh, kind of leaked out every once in a while, something that McCoy would always be listening for to mm-hmm. uh, to tease him or poke fun at him about. And uh, Kirk would always, you know, draw attention to it and act surprised. I also saw Leonard Nimoy playing on Perry Mason on The Twilight Zone, uh, on old reruns of In Search Of, uh, ah. all all kinds of various things. Perry Mason, huh? Perry Mason, I got yeah. Got on that one. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he my mom has, used to watch that show a lot. <laughs> yeah, he had a very varied career as an actor. Yes. Yeah. So we've learned in the past few days, or at least I have. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went and read his Wikipedia page. Uh, stage actor, uh, producer. Uh, you know, at, thought at one point he might be done with acting and kept getting dragged back mm-hmm. in for this role or for that role for that Star Trek movie, which didn't right. really exist. <laughs> for uh you know a sci-fi series and then to reprise his um his appearance in the sci-fi series at the end of fringe and right uh photographer it's ironic because he was worried about getting typecasted as spock and early sure enough, enough. yeah <laughs> it, it definitely took him some time to warm to the idea of being known as spock mm-hmm. so he kind of rebelled at it for a while against it for a while and right. then i think he eventually made his peace with it and and became just a, a tremendous ambassador for science fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, and a, and a pretty honorable man, too. There's a, a mention that early on he had advocated for equal pay for all of the actors on Star Trek, which included Nichelle Nichols and Walter Koenig. Mm-hmm. And while Walter Koenig, I think, was just a young actor at the time, mm-hmm. Nichelle Nichols was black and right. continues to be black. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, but the, the, he, would, he would care enough about her as a person. In the in the late 1960s, to say right. yes, you know she's she's a valuable member of our crew and she should be t- treated equally like everybody else. Even if she basically just answered the phone on the Enterprise. Even if she just answered the phone on the Enterprise, it's what do you my do? one job. It's and I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, like like Colin, I I am old enough that I remember watching original series and syndication. In fact, I I don't really remember not knowing about Star Trek. Uh-huh. I I have a photo of me like uh, on one of my birthdays wearing like a zip up jumpsuit 
tan jumpsuit with the Star Trek insignia on it. Which, <laughs> Little Kirk? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, but I remember <laughs> watching Star Trek with my, my sisters who were older than me and being... I don't remember that much about it from this particular episode I was watching, but I remember being concerned for the main cast. And and mm. they told me something like, no, 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 they've got that insignia there. It means that they're immortal, you know, <laughs> or invincible. <laughs> uh, so, so I don't know if the red shirts had that insignia. Right. <laughs> um, it's possible they didn't. But mm. yeah, it's just, it's, I grew up But no one, no one important in TOS wore red shirts, though. Except Scotty. Uh, oh yeah. Well, he always stayed on the ship. Yeah, yeah. He didn't go down. He never. Way. He never went on away missions. He did on because he would have died if he did. Right. <laughs> or be possessed by space aliens who right. are Jack the Ripper. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So he did go to the surface on that one with uh, Apollo. Oh well. Pretty much all the main crew did. But yes. Well, yeah. unlike, unlike you two, I'm not old enough to watch TOS in uh, syndication. Mm. <laughs> so. <laughs> You can watch it on Netflix. Yeah, you can watch That's it now. True. So you should go back and, right. and do some studying. But no, for me, like Spock reminded me of my dad because he was a scientist. My dad was a scientist. My dad yeah. could totally do the eyebrow thing, which nice. several of, of, of us, of, a couple of my sisters can do it. And I can do it. Um, <laughs> I've kind of taught my son how to do it. James has got it going. Hey, three for three. We can all do it. Nice. Score. So uh, one thing that I thought kind of tied in Leonard Nimoy as ambassador for science fiction with us, which, you know, we, we're basically Leonard Nimoy. He was Nimoy ambassador now. in TNG. Huh? Huh? That's right, Ambassador Spock. Yeah. Yes. And and in the uh, 2009 reboot movie that Colin right. disparages all the time. <laughs> doesn't um, exist. <laughs> that doesn't exist, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Colin, Colin has both feet firmly planted in the original universe. Yes. But our podcast, one of the, the missions of one of the founding principles was the idea that there are written works out there for well-known films that are neglected because people have seen the film. Why would they need to go back and read what it was based on? And so we've right. kind of tried to uh, evangelize for going back and reading some of this stuff. And in this case, I think it's really tremendous because this is a truly classic story that we're going to be talking about. And yeah, if, if we hadn't, I'd like to bring something nice out of, out of his death. Yeah. And to say that, you know, he did something small like lead three guys to one of the foundational stories for science fiction mm-hmm. might be that okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it turns out that if you say the words iRobot, the word that people respond with is... Asimov. 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 Now, it turns out that Asimov was inspired by another set of short stories written in... Uh, right. 1938? 1938. I can't remember the name of the magazine. It's Amazing Astound- Stories? Yeah, Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories by Iando Binder, which is... The name has <laughs> a, a story in and of itself, but the first it was the first in a series of stories, and the first story was iRobot. Or iRobot, which is also something we'll discuss later. <laughs> and um, so Mr. Asimov wrote this collection of short stories, and his pro- the publisher of the short story collection called it iRobot. And Mr. Asimov was at first upset, feeling like he had stolen the, uh, the thunder from the original set of stories. Yeah, like it was disrespectful to the original stories. Yeah. And they're definitely in – you can see the influence of the original stories on Asimov's works. Mm-hmm. The, the questions – and they, they, the same questions resonate through the television s- stories. For those listening at home, uh, we had a cookie interruption. (laughs) James interrupted so rudely with cookies. But Colin was talking about Asimov and his iRobot collection having been influenced by the Binder iRobot. Yes. Which was earlier. Yeah. Right. So, and yeah, so like I was saying, this is something that, and well, 
like like Colin said, right? You you think I robot? You think Asimov every time? And mm-hmm. I I even tried this on some people this week and said, yeah, we're going to be talking about I robot, and they're like, oh, I like that collection, and you know the Will Smith movie, and they're like, no, 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 not that one. <laughs> the real also not related. Yeah, yeah, also not related. <laughs> yeah. um, and we will eventually, I think, get to I robot. Oh um, yeah, I, I have the movie. Actually, I have. They made a uh, 3D conversion of it. I have that on. Oh, that'd Blu-ray. be fun. Yeah. Do the robots like jump out at you? Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, that'd be cool. But so I really like the fact that we get to kind of, like I said, evangelize for for this really, really classic story. And the classic story was about a lot of the same things Mary Shelley talks about in Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. What defines a human? And if we were to find someone like us, intelligent, self-aware, how would we as a society deal with them? And uh, so, yeah, the iRobot stories by Binder then explore that in a variety of ways um, for several, several years. There's a there's a. You can, a collection of the stories that you can buy, um, which has all of them in there. We're only going to really talk about the first two and a quarter of them. Yeah. Uh, the first one where uh, Adam Link, who's the robot, gets built and becomes self-aware aware and uh, experiences the loss of the man that creates him. Mm-hmm. And the second story where he is taken to uh, trial, being accused of the murder of the professor that creates him. And then... The end of the story, where we get to see what happens, you know, will humanity rise above prejudices, or will it sink back down into the depths of ignorance and hatred and despair? Yeah. Which they kind of go both ways, right? In the, well, in the shows, I should say. Yeah, you can kind of see yeah. both both sides of that coin. Um, right. So, uh, Ian, on the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, is fond of saying that science fiction is a mirror on society. And I totally feel like, definitely with this story... And and a lot of science fiction stories, you know, they mm-hmm. they have a skeleton that you can graft on social issues, and it totally it makes it seem organic right. to the story, you know. Mm-hmm. And you might you might read it at a surface level and enjoy the story, but subconsciously, you're like, oh, that was about prejudice. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's even a, a modern topic that we continue to struggle with. Mm-hmm. The issue that would be relevant to us, particularly here in Oregon, has to do with drones and right. semi-autonomous or fully autonomous drones. Is it? Going to be considered lawful to use these in in wartime or for observation, mm-hmm. um, you know. What and are, are they, they people? I don't think we're at the people stage yet. No. Not not until they start quoting Shakespeare and right. saving right. little girls. And if they become intelligent, things. then we start calling them robots. 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 Yeah. yeah, that's when they become robots. So we didn't really mention that. I mentioned at the top that it's two Outer Limits episodes, correct? And both of them are titled iRobot. Yes. And they mm-hmm. are 30 years apart, but both of them star Leonard Nimoy, which is really cool. Yeah, right. He has more of a more of a role in the 1995 one, the, the second set of Outer, Outer Limits yeah. shows, rather than the first one. Yeah. Um, there's, there's an ongoing consolidation and simplification of the story, which happens over time, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was, I thought it was really interesting to kind of watch and, and think about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the last story really only has three characters in it. Yeah. Let's let's come back to that. Yeah. Okay. So, like you said, the, this when I was reading it, I'm not sure that I had gotten to the end of it yet, and and I commented, it's very Frankenstein. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I think I had commented. I was thinking that as I was reading it, and then at the end, they sort of make it explicit because the robot actually reads Frankenstein. Right. Um, but it, yeah, it's very much <laughs> like the the creation run amok in some right. way and being hunted mm-hmm. by the angry mob. By the angry mob, and it's it's a pretty. It's a very brisk story. It's it's not very long at all. Um, and I think lots of times when you come out with kind of classic science fiction stories, there's so many tropes in them, in them that have been 
adopted and adapted into other stories that you kind of look at the original one and go, well, that wasn't really that much, but you have to kind of credit <laughs> it for founding that whole genre. Yeah. Well, and the, the genre continues to develop. Yeah. Boy, or maybe it runs simultaneous. Do you remember when the Star Trek, the Next Generation episode happened when uh, Commander Data was put on trial to see whether or not he had the right to reject an experimental refit? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was season two, The Measure of a Man. Yes. Which means it was way before 1995. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been it, 90 probably. It would have been in, uh, yeah, season two would have been in 90. Yeah. Because it started in 89, I believe. Although I bet people would be way more familiar with that episode rather than the Outer Limit episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and that right. one that one we were talking about as we were watching it. Like this this seemed yeah. it seems like that episode really drew from the trial of Adam Link. Yeah. Questioning whether or not he was really sentient and really self aware. Um is he a machine or is he a man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he property? Yes. Well the overall trial in, in in general reminded me of the I think I mentioned this earlier when we were watching it too, the Scopes Monkey trial. Mm-hmm. That was it. Basically put science on trial. Right. Well, why don't we talk a little about the 1964 movie? Okay. Because it uses the the plot of the first story, like you said, is Adam is created, trained, grows, you know, learns to walk, learns to read, mm-hmm. educates himself. And then unfortunately, right before he's going to be shown to the world, his creator dies. Right. 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 And how does that story end? Ends with him in the, the lab. He ends up in the lab signing off on his note because he's writing. He's That's right. Because the, the he's writing his testament, his last testament, as right. it were. The angry mob is outside, ready uh-huh. to burn the place yeah. down. And so yeah. he's he's writing his last testament, yeah. trying, hoping it. I think it'll hoping that I think it'll convince. Yeah. People that he didn't do what they think he did, and he's not really a monster. Yeah. But he's basically committing suicide by switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Turning himself off. Right. And so the trial of Adam Link takes place right after that. And both of the episodes of The Outer Limits seem to adapt both stories. Yes. Right. Um, But the 1964 one, it kind of recounts the events of the original story. Right. And we should talk about Nimoy. He plays a reporter who is interested in the case and who helps find a crap lawyer to try and... Right. To to, to defend him. Yeah. Did you say crap or crack? Crack. Crack. Good. <laughs> crack shot. <laughs> yeah, not a crack shot. Um, right. Yeah. Who, well, which I noticed after watching the 95 one, um, in the 1964 adaptation, his niece, uh, Nina? Mina. 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 Mina Link is his client. Mm-hmm. But in the 1995 version, uh, the robot becomes his client. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was well, interesting. In the 1964 one, he's representing Mina, who has inherited right. the robot. So it's more of a property trial in yeah. the nineteen sixty four film versus Yeah. I don't know, a hearing for a murder trial, I guess, in the ninety five film. In the story it's a nephew, isn't it? Tom yes, Tom, Tom Link. Yeah. Who so it progresses. Right. Yeah. Well they they put attractive ladies in. Right. To, well, you know, you know. What was funny though is how in the in the sixty four film it's his niece implying you know he's a mad scientist stuck in his life he's never gonna have kids yeah, yeah. to uh, being his daughter in the later in the ninety five film where you know nerds are awesome and mm-hmm. cool then to get all the chicks <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to talk much about the the plot of it really no well the nineteen sixty four is is pretty faithful to the overall arc of the plot yeah yeah I liked how they weaved the the first story throughout the test, the, um, the, trial. the trial. Yeah, they do flashbacks. Yeah, the 1964 film. I yeah, thought you, that was clever. Yeah, you could argue that it actually adapts the second story, takes mm-hmm. the first story's title, and then calls the first story back in flashbacks. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. Well, the first story really mm-hmm. leads right into the trial. 
And it's right. to me, it's kind of like that first story was like a chapter, like an introduction. Yeah, yeah. And, and needed a further to me story. Too. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that was probably released serially, mm-hmm. and and it might be unfair to label it the story. It's just right. the first part of the complete adventures of Adam Link, which we will put a link in the show notes to uh, where you can buy it. And we should talk about. Let, let me uh, let me divert here. So we're <laughs> fans of ebooks. Yes. And one thing that Colin likes to do, and I like to do, is look for mistakes or typos in in ebooks. And the hope would be, and it's pretty logical that you could then send an email and say, "Hey, I found some typos in your ebook," especially when it's an old one like this that looked like there were some OCR mistakes. Yeah. Um, like one of them I noticed was in place of the word "in" were three eyes. Oh, I didn't see that in one. A row, yeah. <laughs> and so Colin fires off an email to the publisher or yes. whoever and says, hey, I found some mistakes. Could you fix them? And maybe you could send me a corrected version of it. And Well, I've tried this with several publishers. Mm-hmm. And not to kick is too awful far afield, but there is not a single publisher out there that I have connected or contacted who will either take a list of edits or even talk about returning a, a corrected book to Barnes & Noble, who would then you know fix all of our instances, or even re we're republishing to Amazon. Mm-hmm. So if, if you get a book and it's broken, you're kind of screwed. Interestingly enough, if you get a print book in the same condition, they reissue it and you get free ones. Yeah. So I, there's definitely a disparity between the two mediums. For sure. Yeah. Now, I so, remember reading Jumper, and in that one, there was a thing in the front that said, you know, send any mistakes you find here. Yeah, he, but was, he, didn't, he was very good about announcing, hey, sending me mistakes. Yeah. yeah but it, it, didn't, cool. it didn't say, we'll give you a new one. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it <laughs> seems like it'd be trivial to do, to, to issue a new one. But. Well, and without DRM, mm-hmm. it's just HTML. You'd fix it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I contacted the publisher and heard back that <laughs> I should not have been able to purchase this book in the first place right. because it had been removed from electronic <laughs> publication from his website and should have been removed from everyone else's. So I'm sitting here going, did I just buy something illegally? Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we thought about it. And the, the closest thing I can figure no, is, is that... sold it to you illegally. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would like to have a valid legal copy of it. I just need to know who to buy it from. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I bought the book as well. It was like seven bucks from the Nook store. So mm-hmm. I think, and I'll put the link up there in the show notes because I think it's definitely worth right. reading. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm on the third story and it's, cool. it's fun. It's like 360 pages all told. So Oh yeah, there's eight yeah. or nine stories in total and they're all an exploration about how society would accept a robot and in what conditions and why. And kind of his evolution morally as well. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about was some of the. I want to talk about the robot design in the 1964 film. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, <laughs> okay, Bender. <laughs> but first, first in the story, you know, in in Asimov, it's the positronic brain is the the thing, right? Yes. Um, and, and that's what Data had. Yeah, it is what Data had. That's right. <laughs> Although it's never really, you never see it the way it's described in any of the Asimov stories because it's no, described as it's kind just... of being this foam or something. Right. But in this story, you have some like an iridium sponge. Yeah, iridium that is sponge. his brain. Yeah, yeah, kind of a foamy thing. Mm-hmm. I always like in classic science fiction where they're making guesses of technology fifty years in the future <laughs> or more, and just to kind of see what they think it might have been. Okay, so the robot design. <laughs> so about the robot design, Seth. Yes. No, James James says it's awesome, so I, I, guess, awesome. I guess that's it. I thought it was totally like... I loved it because it was totally classic. It is. Classic robot design, classic robot voice. It was fantastic to me. I, I, I have I to say. I really enjoyed watching it. I did find the voice really irritating. <laughs> I found the voice hard to, hard to understand several times. Yeah. 
Right. But, but yeah. the dryer vent hose was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His arms looked like they were totally in dryer vents and like that, that suit was made of duct tape. Right. It actually was reminiscent of Gort from the day the year stood True. still. Yes. He was a little more mobile. What, yeah. what I thought, what I found interesting too was in the, reading the story, like it's, he seemed to communicate very well in writing what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I could just imagine. So in the story, you're kind of getting his thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then in the show, you're getting what he actually sounds like trying to communicate to people. Mm-hmm. And you could see the disparity between if someone was telepathic per se, trying to communicate to somebody else. Sure. And actually hearing somebody speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in, in in the stories, there's no intimation that he has any trouble verbally communicating. No, there isn't. No. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very the costume is very classic, and I'm like I said, I'm much more willing to right. make allowances <laughs> for black and white television and what they think a robot would look like. <laughs> right. And I liked I liked his eyes kind of look like um, oh, it's like a shark. Y- you remember those twenty five yeah. cent toy dispensers in the grocery stores? The eggs. That's what those <laughs> yeah. look like. Yes. I was trying to I was trying to come up with what is the comparison, and that is exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1995, they did a, a much better job. Uh, the actor's wearing kind of a suit with right. almost a cable kind of look. Mm-hmm. And, but he's ripped. He's got biceps yeah. and muscles. It looked like the suit from, like, Crisis or some of those games. Oh, yeah. Looked like a It definitely looks something suit. more uh, flexible. Mm-hmm. Like, the robot would be more agile. Yeah. Though, it was still, there was still a significant cheese right. factor, I have to say. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, and to me, there's, like, in, in, a, in something from 1995... There's the question of is this deliberately cheesy? Like it's a it's a retro right. kind of look. In which case, I'm willing to to go. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> um, what was it that we were? I remember in one of the other podcasts, we're like, and they were good and cheesy. It was the Triffids. Yeah, in the in the, <laughs> in the 2009 oh, yeah. remake yeah. or 2008, whatever it was. Um, good and cheesy. There was CGI. the part though in the in the 95 one uh, when he was on trial because you noticed this too. Um, but then he like then he just tilted his head like that. You remember? Yeah, there's all these little subtleties <clears throat> in the 1995 that the costume allows him to do, right. where he tilts his head to the side questioningly, and yeah. I just assigned uh, you know an emotion to a motion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, body language. Yeah, right. and you you could not do that in the 1964. No, no, yeah, and then he was lucky in the to move at all. Robot, yeah, you could. He had a, a range of motion which could almost lend itself to body language and in the mm-hmm. 64 when he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the book and the stories make it really clear that Adam is very very fast. His reactions are fast. It it, mm-hmm. it talks about, you know, at the speed of electrons. Yes. Right. And yeah, in the 1964 with with, <laughs> with the dryer hose costume arms and, and you're legs. watching him get up out of the chair yeah. and get, open yeah. the door to the other room. Not exactly an athlete. No. <laughs> Generator fall. Yeah. Although although I did look up the the guy who played him, it was an uncredited role. The guy was actually like Aww. a stunt man and like a, he played football for the Redskins at some point. Huh. So so it, it was an athlete. It took an athlete to be able to move as well as he did. Right. Wow. Well, it talks about that's one of Adam's limitations in the book is that he lacks a bunch of human expression. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we were laughing about the 1964 robot because his mouth opens and then his mouth blinks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then his lips, his, his, his little right. mouth lips close again. And they threw that away from the 95 and it was a much better experience overall. I was hoping to get one solid beady, 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 beady out of him. Because <laughs> uh, actually that's kind of what he reminded me of was Tweaky. Oh, yeah. That, that solid carved metal kind of look to mm-hmm. it. Yes. Yeah, so the 95, we, we can talk about that one. Um, Nimoy, instead of playing the reporter, he actually plays the lawyer, the mm-hmm. crack lawyer. Yeah, yes. Crack lawyer, yes. <laughs> the defense who, attorney. Yeah, the brilliant lawyer who doesn't like chess. 
because yes. he, he's too smart for it. <laughs> I, I liked that scene, the initial scene where, where Mina, the daughter, with just fabulous 90s hair, yes. Um, yes. where she comes up to him to try and hire him. And he's like, here, I'll, give you, I'll get you a seat. Checkmate. <laughs> Buzz off, buddy. You know? right. And she sits down. I like um, how she shredded his justification for liking chess better than people. Do elaborate. Do elaborate. When he, he was saying, you know, in, in chess, it involves more strategy and... Once you're out of the game, you know, there's no buying your way back in or bending the rules. Mm. And she's like, well, you can sacrifice other people to get your players back in the game. Right. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Touche. That was kind of, uh, in a word, that was used in the 1964 film in the trial, germane Germane. to the plot of the 1995 version. True. Because, like I said, you can take a science fiction story and strip away a lot of the extraneous stuff Mm -hmm. and pin a larger story onto it. Mm And in the 1995 one, there's that whole military-industrial complex right. thing where yeah. where the military is stepping in to to yeah. give funding because mm-hmm. the funding had been cut off or he ran out of money or something. Yeah, he ran out of money. And that's yeah. the inciting incident because he's trying to reprogram Adam right. to well, make him into a soldier. From the very beginning, you're moving from a, a, a garage lab scientist mm-hmm. to a university-funded right. scientist, right? Yeah. Which I think modernizes the whole thing anyway because mm-hmm. i think in the 90s you didn't really have the garage lab scientist anymore type yeah. person yeah i can't the, the 1995 one for some reason i found much cheesier than the 1964 because it was way over dramatized <laughs> could be yeah, and, i don't know maybe. it was very 90s <laughs> it was quite 90s um, like the whole lighting of it and the tone and the mm. music reminded me of other shows of that era yeah. all they needed was the from law and order yeah then it would have had it but to me like the the Easily the best part of it was Nimoy. I thought he was tremendous. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. He did a great job. Well, and, and interesting trivia, he was directed in the 1995 show by his son, Adam. That's right. Yeah. right. Adam. Adam. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Good tie in there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I One thing I had written down to talk about was just the fact that the story and the the shows, the television shows, are about kind of xenophobia, right? They're the other is what's under consideration. Is mm-hmm. is this truly a person? And I thought that was interesting and kind of resonant because Spock was that on Star Trek. I mean, he wasn't the only one. They had right. Uhura, who was black. They had Sulu, who's Asian. They had a Russian character. <laughs> Trying to find the nuclear vessels. Yeah, nuclear vessels. <laughs> vessels. Um, vessels. <laughs> in, in the Cold War, you know. Yes. But, but Spock was kind of the quintessential... The, he's the alien right. on the bridge. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if they needed to hide among people, he was the one they had to hide. His ears, right. his skin tone. Yep. Beanies. My friend, he was caught in a Chinese rice picker and so right. is I right. th- I thought that was interesting <laughs> though for um in the next generation, they kind of had two Spock sort of characters because they had Worf and Data. Right. Oh who, yeah. who were the other and and Data was the scientist and Worf was strong. Um, and then there were a couple times where Worf had to put on like a like a beanie to, to cover up his Klingon features, <laughs> yes. which reminded me of Spock. But yeah, so I thought that was interesting that, that this story is kind of about that xenophobia and Spock kind of represented that on, on Star Trek. And they discussed themes like that a couple of times, like with the guy who has one side of his face was white and the other side was black. And right. the other guy was opposite. Obviously, Lokai is white on the right side of his face. I am black <laughs> on the right side of my face. Good poll there. Nice. That's Nerd. one of the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was in the heart of you know the '60s with racism mm-hmm. and everything going on. Where, right? You know, well, let's, let's take black and white out of the picture and then put it right back into the picture. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a little, little uh, heavy-handed. I thought another interesting aspect of the films was the evolution of the guilty, not guilty. Yeah, uh, 
verdict. Yeah, the, the 1964 one kind of went, it didn't have any hearing about, is he a person? Should he stand trial? It kind of went straight to, it's a trial. Right. Should it be destroyed or not? It was still a hearing, but yeah. it, was, it was agreed upon at the beginning in the jail cell between um, Cutler and the DA that this was going to be a hearing of whether or not to destroy him outright. Right. And, and he agreed to follow whatever legal writ the judge uh, put down. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a 95 version, they agreed to have a hearing. To decide if he should To decide even, whether he... If he was property. Right, if he was property or not. Or yeah, if he should I guess, be right. put on trial. And that's, and that's where Nimoy, or Cutler in that film, uh, kind of made it his intent to, uh, I guess, make sure he was constitutional so he could put it into uh, a right. murder trial. Because once he got the murder trial, mm-hmm. he knew he would win. Right, and and that that's very similar to what happens in the story. The Tom Link, who's representing him, is mm-hmm. using he's he's trying to get the authorities to recognize Adam right. in certain ways, and he plays them in order to get them to go on record as saying yes, he's a person, um, and that is kind of what happened in that initial trial. Right. In fact, they even talked about what the the mistake the sheriff had made. He should have had an order from the governor saying this was a weapon that had malfunctioned and run out of control and then right. should be destroyed. But because of the way they handled it wrong, they got to actually try the issue of Adam's personality, mm-hmm. his personhood. You didn't see in really either version the public sentiment. No. There, 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 was, there was the indication of like right. a lynch mob kind of thing at the end of the 1964 one when they're coming out of the <laughs> Which kind of makes you wonder, like, what are you going to do against that guy? Seriously? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can lynch mob with a 300-pound robot that could probably throw 10 people yeah, across the, the street at one time. The book <laughs> goes to pains to say that he is vulnerable to some damage. Right. Like, he, he can be, if he's shot in the head. Sure, yeah. It could, it could damage Yeah, I mentioned you could, you could damage sponge. a servo and he'd be limping along because mm-hmm. his knee wouldn't move, wouldn't yeah. move or something. Yeah. Uh, one bit of trivia I, I liked was either it was the university or the center or I can't wherever he was working yeah. was like Rossum Laboratory. Yes. Yeah. Which <laughs> is a reference back to the original use of robot in popular culture, Rossum's Universal Robots, which ah, nice. um, I will put in the show notes. I found an EPUB version of the screenplay that was translated into English, and it seems to be uh, under some like common. What do you call it? Creative Commons? Creative Commons license, yeah. Interesting. So, I guess it's downloadable? Well, if it's published in general, if it's published before 1923, I mm-hmm. believe the date is, uh, it is in the public domain. Okay. There has been no extension of copyright beyond that date. Between 23 and some secondary date, depending on where it's published and how it's published. You end up with the Sonny Bono stuff. Yes. And then you have things which can deliberately be put into the public domain by uh, explicit licensing or mm-hmm. desire or release... Anyhow, I'm I'm going to read the the screenplay. Oh, not screenplay. I said screenplay before, didn't I? You did. <laughs> it's a stage play, so it's a script. And you said it was translated into English. What was it translated from? I think it was Czech, wasn't it? The I don't original? know. That's why we're asking. Yeah. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you know, while he's hanging on, let's bring up another topic, which is kind of applicable to the discussion of the Rossum play, which is, um, is it robot or is it robot? Right. In, in the, yeah, in the 1964 Outer Limits, <laughs> most of the people are saying robot, and a couple of them are saying robot. Nowadays, I don't think you hear anybody say robot. It's mm-hmm. all robot. Robot, robot, robot. robot. Yeah. And James, you mentioned that Isaac Asimov says robot. How, robot. how did... Seth, Seth said that. Seth said that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Robot. Yeah, I was, so I was looking for... Wait, it, like, you're, you're hearing it as robot or robot? But. See, I was totally hearing robot. As in, tukus, oh, tushy, no. but talks. 
<laughs> no a, ifs, ands, or robots. Robot. Yeah. As bits and bytes and. Okay, I which yeah. makes way more sense, by the way. It does actually, but I <laughs> I, I hear robot. Really? Yeah. Well. And it's white and gold. Dang it. No, blue black. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I totally heard heard. Uh, I'm okay with this robot being wrong. Like when 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 I uh, when I wrote it down, like as a possible title. Uh huh. I, oh, I, I no wrote kidding. down no, and on the Facebook if post, are robots. You, you, Colin put a Facebook post up while we were watching it, and and I said, "You mean right. I robot?" So, <laughs> but yeah, looking online, there are people who hear robot, robot. and robot. Yeah. yeah. So so what is it? Are we bots or butts or bits? I guess we'd have to look at what the pronunciation is in Czech because the the play was in Czech, and I'm oh, not yeah. even going to try to pronounce the name. <laughs> that first name is Carl. Well, you knowledgeable people out there that listen to us, uh, right? Step in and save us. Yeah. Do it, do it now. Here we go. I can have Wikipedia pronounce it for me, can't I? The name is Karel Chapek. Of the that is the person who wrote Rossum's Universal Robots, only it was titled something in Czech. I did find a Facebook page that was. It was titled something like, change the official pronunciation of the word to robot. Right. <laughs> so, with a, with a U, by the way. Ah, a robot. Yeah. yeah. Robot. And they have more likes than we do. So. <laughs> hey, maybe they know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed the stories so much, I kept reading them. I'm on story number six right now. Nice. Oh, cool. Um, I'm on number three, which that, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, so, yeah, I was thinking after I did read the first one in Amazing Stories. That'd be kind of cool to get hold of the rest of these, because it was kind of fun. Yeah, and that was something else. I tried to yeah. find an o- online archive of these because I would have sworn I saw one posted someplace, but I couldn't find it again. Mm-hmm. Where you could read it, you know, legally online. Because right. <laughs> right. it'd, it'd kind of be cool to see it in serialized form. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I I, w- I want to read those just for the cool artwork. Oh yeah! The, oh yeah! That was totally cool. The book that I this. got from the library was like a 60th anniversary of Amazing Stories, and it had a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. kind of plates in the middle that showed old covers, and they were really they cool. Were awesome! Great, yeah. great artwork on them. So made made me want to go that back and read sad. a bunch of those. That we don't get that anymore. Yeah, you know, there it exists. There are online kind of like Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, yeah. where he they do original art oh, yeah. on there as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. so. yeah but and major Hollywood films, you know, they don't produce quality... Oh, posters. I guess posters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, floating head posters. posters anymore, right? Yeah. 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 Well, because I was looking up, uh, like, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, because mm-hmm. um, uh, at least one podcast that I listened to recently about Leonard Nimoy talked about that movie, and even that, the, right. the poster for it was like a painting, and... Really, really cool. It's cool. I have to say, uh, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about Spock. Was Spock dying in Star Trek Two? To me, is one of the most moving things in any film I've ever seen. Yeah, and the reason, of course, is that that I watched the original series and I knew the characters. You know, I knew the relationship between them, and I knew what a loss it was for Kirk. Which is the main right. reason that the parallel version that happened in Star Trek Into Darkness yeah. totally didn't work because. Right. Those actors had not earned that scene. Did, didn't aren't you the guy that told me that his business card logo was supposed to be adaptation means change? Though that does not make a value judgment, though, does it? No, it doesn't. Not all change is good. Not all change is good. So, wait. So, so to wrap up, uh, right. the, the stories are worth reading. All the stories, really. Mm-hmm. And 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 do a comparison to Frankenstein. Do a comparison to. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Tell us more of the things that you think yeah. it's, it's Bicentennial similar to. Man. Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Keep it in mind uh, when you read Asimov. I don't know about the movie. The, the Asimov story by Centennial Man. It was very reminiscent of, of Adam Link. 
Okay. I can, I need to go back and, and Actually, read that one again. Actually, the robot in Bicentennial Man is very reminiscent yeah. of Adam Link now that I think about in it. In the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you look at the cover of that movie, it looks very much like the mm-hmm. 1964 version. It's funny. <laughs> I think they were going for a retro at that point. Yeah. Uh, I'd, right. be, I'd be curious, you know, a new, an adaptation of this right now with motion capture technology, they could really, really do a good job with Adam because he's supposed to be powerful and fast. But... Like even the the Will Smith movie, I Robot, which is every bit as much based on the Ian Bender short story as it was on the Asimov. Not not really, but um, right. but the, they used some motion capture in that. Um, did they? Yeah. Oh, those yeah. robots were cool, actually. They I were, yeah. Those robots. And, I, they, and they did a good I, job showing them being superhuman. Right. Yeah. The acrobatics yeah. and the strength moves. Mm-hmm. and we're definitely I thought those to. robots were done really well, actually. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, when we first put up our Facebook page, my high school friend James Allen put a link up there to iRobot, to, mm-hmm. I think, to the movie. And we just haven't gotten to it, and we need to do it. The problem is that it's, it's the, the basis of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not cut and dry like this. Or no, definitely not. Several other works we've done, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but so I, it's, it's kind of a tough one to pull off. I like the movie, and I want to cover it because I really like the short story collection. Right. And if there's anybody out there who has seen that movie and not read the short story collection, they're really missing it. Yeah. So Hey, that'd be me. Yeah. Well, that would also give us a chance to try and research and find Harlan Ellison's iRobot movie script. Yes, the screenplay actually is at the Washington County Libraries. I've, I've read it. Cool. Yeah. So. Nice. And we'll do that at some point. But we are going to get back onto our normal schedule. We had been planning on doing Total Recall at the end of this month. Yes. We're going to attempt to do that, though we have some issues because James has traveled to Poland looking for nuclear vessels. Right. And... Uh, I've got some championship meets with my son. He'll, we'll, I'll be out of town, or he'll be out of town, and so we'll uh, we'll figure that out and try and at the end of this month have a total recall episode out before we uh, talk about too much about what we're going to do next time. Even though I've already totally said it before we start signing off, we we haven't ranked them, so I, I can go first. Sure, sure. Okay, um, I, I've got to give the nod to the story in this case, and which story though? Dun, dun, dun. The book. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I would... the, the, my problem in there is though I only read the one. I'm like, Meh. yeah, it's kind of hard, <laughs> kind of hard to rank them if you haven't read several of the stories. For for me, it seemed like the film the ad- the film adaptations were just a continuation and integration of mm-hmm. that film, or I mean, sorry, the short story. Mm-hmm. And to rank them, almost irrelevant at that point. Maybe we don't have to rank them. Yeah, I mean, I I liked something about all of them. Right. I, I liked the story. It's it's delightful to read. Yes. Right. And 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 like I said, I'm I'm reading through the the whole book, and so is Colin. Right. And at least until the police show up. Right. Okay, I got it. All right, I'm good. You you I know just, how you're I gonna just rank? Figured it? it out. Yeah. All right. Okay. Be ranked, Seth. I have justification right. too. <laughs> I I think I'm just gonna rank them in order. I, I like the short story a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the 1964 movie probably better than the 19 not movie but television show right. better than the 1995 one though I did like that the 95 one kind of went well we had one where it was kind of a straight up adaptation let's go a slightly different direction have a right. introduce a big bad have Adam actually be kind of guilty of the murder not really but have him be the agent involved in it because mm-hmm. we didn't mention that where there's a malfunction that's brought on by the military programming right <laughs> the evil military industrial yeah. complex Yep. I like that about the yeah. 95 as well because it that kind of thing plays into later stories in the Adam Link series. Oh, sweet. So, um, also plays in the military. No, I'm not going to say anything more, but you'll see that 
and similar things coming up if you keep right. reading. So it's it's worth reading. <laughs> and since I'm talking, I'll just I'll just start ranking. Go for it. Uh, I'm going to go short story collection, and then sixty four and ninety five. And for me, the reason is canonicity of the adaptations. <laughs> of course, because yeah. it's eight, eight o'clock in the morning. Because right. it's eight, eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> for me, it was more. I think I enjoyed the nineteen sixty four one more than than the remake. All right, so I'm going to go with sixty four. Novel, novella, short story. There you go. Short story. <laughs> and then the 95 film. Or okay. film adaptation. There you go. Nice. Screen adaptation. Yeah. You, uh, why but, did you swap them? Why did I swap them? Well, so I'm coming from the perspective where I only read the first story, uh, which is like the last testament of Adam. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the movie, the 19... Or, dang it, movie. I keep saying movie. We're used to doing Anyways. movies. <laughs> this is our first... Well, no, I guess Day of the Triffids was kind of mini-series, yeah, but it was TV-based. Yeah. I thought the I thought the episode, the 1964 Outer Limbs episode, did a good job of taking that story and doing a continuation of it, even though it's not really a continuation of it. Mm-hmm. But doing a continuation of it, bringing that trial to bear and weaving in the original story throughout that, telling the whole... Mm-hmm. You know, bringing it full circle, telling the whole story. Yeah. And I will say that 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 original Outer Limits episode does a really good job mm-hmm. of weaving those first two yeah. stories together. Because yeah. they, in the '95 uh, yeah. episode, it was just way too '90s for me. Although I did yeah. appreciate the additional kind of military paranoid plot. <laughs> well, and we were left with with a mystery at the end because one of the you'll, you'll have to watch this. One of the last scenes is the major Major Birch mm-hmm. lights up a cigar and walks away, and it leaves right. you wondering how much he's influenced the way the story ends there versus the way the story ends in 1964. Mm-hmm. In 1964, we're left with uh, Adam proving his humanity in a way. Right. And that happens right. as well in 1995, but in the end, it's all painted as loss. But the difference right. is, if you think about it, in 95 film, so in that initial hearing, his, his trial is going forward, right? He's going forward to become a murder trial. That's right. So the... There's almost as if something had to happen to keep that from happening, right? Hmm. Right. To keep the military involvement a secret. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've got so. a lab full of them somewhere else. Or right. they want the pieces to study. Mm-hmm. Ah, to found Cyberdyne yeah. systems. Yes. <laughs> the uh, That initial bring-up of Adam in the 95 episode with that the heads-up display mm-hmm. did, did remind me of Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit. The head, yeah. Uh, one other bit of trivia is the the gal who plays this this ties into what we're going to do next. The, the gal who plays Mina in the 1995 version was in that Total Recall 2070 series. Really? Yeah. Huh. Nice. So because I looked her up, I'm like, have I seen her in anything before? She seems she sounds Canadian, and true enough, because that was a Canadian series. Right. Hmm. Which I think you watched some of it. Yeah, I watched like, a few yeah. a few of the uh, season one. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was like a cross between uh, Total Recall and Blade Runner. That's right. Oh, Very, nice. Kind of weird crossover like that. So are we ready to wrap it up? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. So like we said earlier, we're going to be talking about Total Recall next time. So get a hold of us if you want to. You can find us probably at Facebook or Twitter is the best place. Facebook.com slash Pavement Podcast or at Pavement Podcast on Twitter. And let us know. Have you read We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick? And if you haven't, it's definitely worth your time, and it won't take very long. Um, also, have you seen the original movie? Have you seen the remake? And what did you think? Is there anybody out there who thinks that the remake movie was any good at all? Of course it was awesome. It had Kate Beckinsale in it. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
and a guy named Colin. Oh, I guess it was. Uh, see, see, we're coming yeah. up with all kinds of points in its favor. So, <laughs> actually, you know, I remember enjoying it, but we will talk about more of that next time. You can also just go up to our website, which is pavementpodcast.com, and there's a bunch of contact info up there. I think we're ready to sign I off. I think though. you're ready. Can you guys do the Vulcan salute? Sweet. Three for three. Well, I, I think we, in honor of Leonard Nimoy, we will sign off foregoing our normal pavement pounder's blessing and leave you with. Live long and prosper. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Lack of preparation, Man. rushing, not enough alcohol. I got that covered. I'm good. I'm oh. nice and buzzed. <laughs> James, right. James is good. <laughs> You're smiling at me. No, he's trying to chew a cookie nonchalantly. Oh. I, I came over here. I'm like, start, like I was trying to chew quietly. And when I just took my first chew, I saw the thing go whoop. Son of a! <laughs> so I'm like, I hate it when this thing goes. Whoop. <laughs> that was well. Just in case anybody didn't know we we're nerds. Yes, he's off somewhere Vulcan around. That planet went away. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not in Collins Universe. Not in my universe, man. You know that episode of of, of uh, Next Generation where Wesley creates a static warp bubble or something, and it's a it's a universe unto itself. Oh right, Colin is in that bubble. <laughs> it's nice and safe in here, and we have Vulcan. Right, <laughs> static Colin bubble. Yes, I totally. By the way, I got one of your farts in the last episode. Did you really? I, I couldn't do anything about it because you did it right in the middle of somebody talking, and so it's 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 on there. So go back and listen That's to our fantastic. our contact episode and see if you can <laughs> t- tell me the date code. Of uh, of James's <laughs> fart, and I will send you our copy of Barrel to the Master. <laughs> <laughs>